0: Uh, welcome to another episode of Stars and Startups. Uh, We've had three of uh, this investor's portfolio companies on the show prior to this. Uh, this is a, you know an investor based out of Mumbai, uh, Vikram Jachra. Uh, you've already heard uh, from a few of the founders who are part of his portfolio. Uh, Madhu of Yap, uh, Ankit of Sainzi and Rajan of Slice. Um, Oh, wait. Actually, there's one more. Uh, it's also Blue Tokai. Uh, Matt of Blue Tokai has been on the show. Uh, not by design. I, I've known a few of those founders outside of me, uh, interacting with Vikram. Uh, and though he's a good investor, uh, which we'll find out, uh, you know, more about him and, and what he's been up to. So, uh, let's welcome Vikram of ATI Capital on the program. Hi, Vikram. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Varun. Good to catch up here again. You're an investor and you've also founded a company. So I thought you'd give a great perspective as well of what's happening uh, in the Indian scene. Uh, but before we get into uh, some of those things, uh, why don't you tell a little bit about yourself uh, so, you know, for audience? So sometimes I feel uh, like an internet historian, to be honest.
1: Um, I've been building mobile internet companies and uh, more lately financing them since '99. Pretty much uh, from the birth of the mobile internet. Uh, That time I was in New York. And the first company actually I I created uh, for a mobile environment was, the inspiration was, how do you bring one-click shopping to a mobile device? Because Amazon had just done it, uh, removed this friction point, started to do really well. And, And so it was natural, it would come to the mobile phone. So we set out to do that in 99. Uh, raised a bunch of money, and and did quite well for a while. Uh, And then we got dot-bombed. We didn't get the timing right, didn't sell the company. And uh, so sold off to Motorola, moved to Silicon Valley. Uh, There again, created the mobile environment for a leading uh, consumer internet company called Snapfish, which is an online photo services company. So keep in mind, all of this was happening pre-IOS, pre-Android era. Um, I was just going to say, like, your... uh
0: you know you're talking about one click shopping on uh, on mobile and you're talking about uh, snapfish which i think uh, you know pre insta instagram and a lot of these other uh, yeah. innovations snapfish was the original photo uh, sharing and and saving uh, option uh, didn't uh, H- hp acquire it uh, later on um, that's what yeah happened. they
1: they they bought it for 300 million uh, in cash in 05, which was a big deal
2: mm-hmm. that time. So the big right. exit,
0: yeah. That's insane. Did you make some uh, money from that deal?
2: Very little. I mean, you know, uh,
1: honestly, what I got out of that was when you do a venture first time around, you make a lot of mistakes. And I did the same thing. And it was very interesting to go build a new business in a company which was doing its 2.0 version. So Snapfish, mm-hmm. like many startups, also made mistakes the first time around, they got a second lease of life. Somebody bought the company and they built a new team around that. And I was part of that new team. But second time around, they got everything right. I actually got to witness what is product market fit
2: in a social network. It's just the amazing uh, experience to see that. Yeah, it's pretty
0: amazing. Great learning experience. But Flickr was competition at that point. Snapfish and Flip, I think uh, you know.
1: Flickr uh, came Flickr later. Oh, Flickr came a little bit later. We'd already been acquired. Uh, mm-hmm. This is during the era of Ophoto, which is acquired by Kodak by that time. You know, Kodak is uh, you know notorious for different reasons today with the Robin Hood crowd. Yeah. But um,
2: yeah.
1: yeah, Actually, there were thirty. There were thirty-six consumer internet companies just focused on photo services. Only three survived. Wow. very interesting and I think out of that lot maybe two and then of course everything migrated to Instagram and Facebook so that that <laughs> bit of history is gone.
0: <laughs> I was just thinking to myself like uh, even digital cameras were still like sub uh, eight pixels or or anything right uh, there wasn't that much uh, happening and not a lot of people had a digital camera people were still going for film and you know I think uh, even India hasn't seen a lot of digital cameras until late 2000s, uh, sorry, early 2000s, right? Uh, so <coughs> who who were these guys Wait. catering to? Like, And, and you know, did, what kind of a user base was it like? And what kind of growth did you see?
2: So
1: Snapfish actually was targeting uh, women, young mothers who wanted to share photos of the kids with the family. And uh, we used to call them back then camera phones. They were, they were very new. The photos were very grainy. Uh, so, you know, the phone was emerging as something like a Swiss knife of sorts where you can start embedding new, new things into it, right? Uh, before phones came along, you know, we used to have these uh, GPS devices you'd buy or rent for a car, you know, when you go wherever you want, the navigator thing, curates on your phone uh, the camera was somewhere else, uh, you know, so so many things started getting added. That's why the phone is the center of everything today. Uh, So the bet really was that those grainy photos would become high-quality photos. And the idea was you take a photo, uh, it automatically uploads to the Snapfish site. So you get one place to aggregate uh, all
0: the photos. You went to New York to build your company and then you moved to the Bay Area, right? But you're actually, uh, um, from. you went to SRCC for undergrad and then you were in Jamshedpur at XLRI. How did you kind of uh, leap uh, into another continent and, and build all these businesses.
1: So I went to NYU to do my business school, and uh, my heart was set in Wall Street. I got a great job. I used to trade bonds in uh, London, actually. So I had the life; everything is great. Did I buy this damn phone, and and it was this Motorola StarTac phone, which looked like the Starship Enterprise. And I discovered oh,
0: that was a gorgeous a br-
1: phone. Yeah, it was a gorgeous phone. It had a browser. And I got hooked onto the browser, even though the speed was terrible. And I don't know, I had this very clear moment in front of me that everything is going to start moving from the It made no sense to be tethered to a place to access something mm. as useful as the internet. Right? you have to take it along with you. So that was the insight, which like, you know, if you lose sleep many,
2: many days on an idea, you might as well go do it. Right.
0: I also read that um, you were... Building mobile payments also very early. And that was uh, pre Snapfish. Was that was that where you built uh, a lot of entrepreneurial abilities?
1: So we had to bundle in uh, this one click shopping, obviously, was about payments. <clears throat> you know, how do you streamline payments in the end? Um, so those days, actually, we were thinking of billing to mobile phones, to the mobile phone bill, actually. Uh, which is really interesting. So imagine your post-paid bill also has some e-commerce items on it, right? Uh, that's how right. we were thinking. But there were a lot of issues. The carriers wanted to take a lot of money. Uh, 65% market share. It's very interesting. Uh, I know I'm taking a bit of a segue here. Uh, when Steve Jobs wanted to launch a mobile phone, he figured out two things. He said, hmm. "If I, as long as the mobile internet was left to the hand of the carriers, Uh, it wasn't working out because they wanted 65, 75% of the revenues, right? Uh, So Japan was 30%. So the developer community was thriving there because there was enough money for them. So the first thing Steve Jobs did is he saw what happened in Japan and made sure that the uh, iPhone would have a similar model, 30%. And today you're seeing uh, a battle play out between Epic, right? Who doesn't want yeah. to pay this thirty percent tax, right? And wants yeah. to go around and Apple is punishing them. Uh, I think Steve Jobs would not be very happy with the way Apple is going about doing what they're doing right now. Mm. But uh, it's, it's it's interesting that thirty look good in front of sixty-five, and now <laughs> thirty looks bad in front of you know whatever you paid to your uh, card company. Right, as you,
0: you know, but it's it's an interesting point, right? Because if you look at uh You know, there is this uh, effort that a company like an Apple, um, you know, or a carrier uh, gives to creating a a payment service, right? And they say, I want a a lion's share of this uh, pie and which is what the battle is between Epic and and Apple is. Um, But unfortunately, digital goods don't get the same respect, say, a physical good is uh, because the assumption is that a digital good has uh, a lot more margin, and it will not pinch as much, and you can always change up pricing. Whereas, Epic's argument, obviously, is that you know if we're able to reduce the price or or not give away so much, we can actually engage with the players a lot more, and they can do a lot more. The OS wars, mobile OS wars, were over. You know, people forget there was
1: Symbian and there was some other Palm OS. All of those companies disappeared. So we are living in a predominantly Android and an apple world so as long as they have a lock on the os they have a lot of power uh, i think what's going to happen is the way uh, you know these modern monopolies are operating they are entering into every space as they say software is eating the world so there is going to be antitrust activity and i think what apple is doing is is going to invite scrutiny uh, with this kind of behavior but you know they they are desperate too they want to protect the services revenue which is very key for them
0: after snapfish how do you transition to investing uh, was there something that started happening because you had a little bit of cash and you like you know started investing because <coughs> i know you have like an early check in paytm and and you know you probably wet your uh, beak uh, in in that form. so
1: actually it's um so early stage, uh, building early stage companies, investing in them has been a continuous thread, although sometimes my day job uh, has been different. Uh, so after I exited Snapfish, I also had the good fortune of exiting an investment in a Brazilian company, which was became the largest mobile music company. It was run by a friend of mine from NYU. And uh, so that, that exit was good as well. So all of these things actually helped me pay off my uh, MBA loan and left me with a little bit of capital to uh, figure out what I want to do next. And, you know, keep in mind, uh, those days, uh, Silicon Valley was very, very uh, quiet. Right? The aftermath of the dot-com bust uh, was still resonating. This is 05. Um, so I actually went back to my Wall Street roots. And along with my brother, I set up India's first distressed and turnaround fund called Aid Capital, uh, which was seated by J.P. Morgan. And so that was my day job. And so when you're doing distress investing, you know, what you're thinking is what can go wrong. That's how you think all day. You try to protect your principles. The venture is the exact opposite. You think about what can go right. You don't worry so much about principle. So I was actually doing both. Uh, so more like a hobby, angel investing. See, it was very clear to me that the uh, advent of the internet and mass adoption of that is inevitable even in India. Right? How it would happen, it was not clear. How these phones would get cheaper or how we're going to get broadband in the hands of everybody it would not clear. But it was obvious it's going to happen, right? And so, <clears throat> actually, the first check I wrote into was a carwale.com uh, at the seed mm. stage. Okay. And, and that turned out to be a great investment. Uh, and I got some proceeds from that. And I recycled back into EasyTab, uh, one non-tech company, which actually went IPO. So number of companies. I just kept recycling. So I never touched that capital for myself. Whatever came back, I rolled
0: it back. So that's how the portfolio guide will come. Like, like a true trader, right? You 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 correct your downside. You're like, okay, this is the money I made. Let's keep putting it back and see where it goes. Actually, it's not so much of a trading
1: mentality, Varun, because uh, I'm not looking. I don't have a itchy trick, trigger finger that I'm trying to exit a stock, right? And you can't do that. At the end of the day, you don't have that liquidity. Um, yeah. But one thing I will tell you what I learned from my trading days Uh, I was very fortunate to have the first boss who was uh, literally like one of the best traders in the world at that time. Um, And he always told me, he said, uh, whenever you invest investing, either be long or be short. Do not have a hold position. What does that mean? It means that you should just love something more and more and try and buy more and more of it as much as your ability allows you or your limits allow you or get out. Do not be in this ambivalence, right? It means that you're hoping somehow something will happen, right? Or you don't know enough, neither of which is acceptable. So you should be the, for that, you have to be the most informed investor. So I think that has really worked out very well for me. It uh, helped me to become a high-conviction investor, even in
0: street-stage companies, with very little information. Mm-hmm. So talking about investing in seed stage companies, um, how has COVID been for uh, your portfolio? Uh, how is this kind of like impacted? Has it actually resulted, uh, you know, were they COVID proof, right? That's the question that people are asking. Were your
2: investments COVID proof? So, you know, uh, in my angel portfolio, all the companies which were weak,
1: interestingly, uh, kind of shut down before COVID over the last two years. Um, what remained were all companies which are, you know, mm. digitizing money or, or e-commerce or brands, you know, mm. digitally native mm. brands. Uh, they've had an incredible run. In fact, I had five follow-on rounds in the last four months in my uh, in my venture portfolio. And I'm not talking about just series A, series B. These are substantial rounds, series C. Mm. Uh, mm. I've never had a better quarter in my angel portfolio. It's phenomenal. So,
0: What has been your uh, investment philosophy, though? I, actually, can you tell a little bit about uh, 8i? Uh, what do you guys have been doing?
1: The role of the internet, even today, uh, the primary role and contribution is really to remove friction from the analog world, so to speak. And so the, what I have seen is the more you remove friction, the higher the adoption. Because the skeptical uh, adopter can see the return on time on on, uh, savings or cost or effort or headache, right? So India is inherently a high-inertia country. And so to the extent you can rewire digitally whatever customer journeys that you can, you will see quantum jumps uh, in terms of improvement, right? So we've always, like, even CarWale was about reducing friction and buying uh, cars. We did really well. Uh, EasyTab was removing friction in the last-mile payment when you get delivery of your goods. Uh, from Amazon or Flipkart, mm-hmm. um, you know, so on, so many companies that we backed. So for me, uh, we've taken always a friction first approach. Um, when we are investing, honestly, we're coming in so early. We've done a number of companies. All you have is literally uh, the proverbial plan on a napkin. I've done that a few times, right? <laughs> um, and, and, uh, and you know, what we really look for is the inside of the founder. Why is this person? doing this why is this problem so important to this founder uh we look for this authenticity between the connection you know between the problem and the founder and then you, of course you see is this founder somebody who can actually execute and, and what progress they have made recently in terms of moving in this direction and and that's about it you know what you are going to do is going to keep iterating you know every 3 months 6 months so you know whatever you show me as a founder is just the first draft You know, by the time you hit product market grid, you could be on the 5th or the 50th draft. I do not know.
2: So from our perspective, the problem is the North Star that will bring you back on track when something doesn't work. And that's what we care about.
0: Um, When you have this thought process, uh, does it ever strike you that uh, the founder has to be pedigree founder uh, by pedigree? I think Indian investors have uh, all these kind of benchmarks or what a pedigree founder looks like on paper? Uh, and you know what I'm talking about. Look, I actually look
1: at it slightly differently. For me, what I, I know that entrepreneurship is a very hard journey, right? Uh, you're going to get a bloody nose doing this thing. So anybody who is thinking this is going to be just fun and games, uh, a lot of it is, but a lot of it is getting punched on the face every damn day and being told you're yeah. wrong and this is never going to work. So you need to be a stubborn kind of a person to actually uh, do a good job here. Now, having said that, uh, what I look for is some place where you've been competitive in your life and you've broken through, as opposed to uh, uh, you know somebody's had completely mediocre career in that sense. Because I'm having to make a decision on on partnering with somebody for even a decade on very little information. So it's okay if you went to a great college which is very competitive. That's a great sign that you were able to put all the fun and games aside and put your head down and focus. You didn't go to a great college, no matter. Did you do that in your first job? If you didn't do it in your first job, show me some place where you exhibited competitive excellence, which allowed you to laser focus. That's all I care about. That means I know I have this person who has an ability to just, you know, go for it and build something. Mm -hmm. So you have to prove somewhere in the market. that's how i i I see it and it's fine. i mean if you're a very young person
2: show me something you know um
0: speaking about that and and having that mindset um you know one of the things that i've noticed uh in the u.s is that a lot of the new age investors um and, and you know famously the founders fund is a fund created by founders for founders in the sense they know what kind of support to give them, what kind of money they require, what kind of, uh, you know, where they could actually step in and support and which has resulted in a lot of, you know, massive mega hits uh, for the fund. Right. Um, In India though, a lot of investors are not founders. I mean, now maybe some newer, uh, you know, newer investors, uh, younger investors are founders. I think the fund decided to uh, notice that. Um, are you seeing the same trend, like more founders becoming investors? Uh, I mean, yeah, and and you probably were one of the earlier, earliest founders becoming uh, an investor. Not enough, but
1: I think again, this is another trend which is inevitable. I do remember Varun when I was raising capital for my uh, startup back in 1999, 2000, and I was uh, pounding the pavement, so to speak, on Sandhill Road, uh, you know, which is where all the VC firms are. Every yeah. VC uh, was a former investment yeah. banker. See, the internet was new. So the, I, I can't blame them, right? I mean, at that point of time, who had any experience building any internet company? The internet itself was launched in 1995 It was more like an R&D yeah. project, right? So Companies mm-hmm. like Amazon actually popularized it. Um, so, you know, they had a very kind of like, the model was always living in Excel and you adhere to an Excel model. And and I think those were unrealistic assumptions. And, and I'm not surprised that we also had a 99% buyout rate in the dot-com past Very early adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, today, if you see the best and the greatest uh, VCs in Silicon Valley, they are all ex-founders, whether it's Mark Andreessen who created Netscape, right? whether it's the Founders Fund folks uh, or it is social capital. All of these people have actually built phenomenal companies, exited them. They understand the journey. They have walked the steps. Of the founders they are about to back, so I think they are uniquely positioned as builders to support other builders. In fact, they want to take back control on the every aspect of venture creation. That's why they want to do direct listing. They don't even want the uh, Wall Street bankers to price their stuff, right? So it's it's yeah. really like you know occupy uh, you know their world completely. Yeah. yeah, When we when we look at India, I think uh, again most of the VC folks have probably come in the early days from the PE world. Again, the P world, you know, combination of people coming from banking and consulting. Uh, I think we will see the same trend here. Uh, we need our founders to get more exits. So as they get exits, they have some financial uh, freedom. Then they start to build it out. What we want to do on our end, actually, is encourage founders to, at least those of us in our portfolio, to co-invest with us at the very early stages. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. We think actually, uh, uh, seed investing is not hard. If you mm-hmm. if you're a builder. I think it's much easier for you. That's my sense. I think we can be taught to be a phenomenal Indian investor. That's my view.
0: That's an interesting perspective, right? Because uh, I've always had this view that a lot of founders in India, uh, you know, when, and, you know, given the number of startups that don't make it, uh, there's not a lot of cash left uh, after, you know, you go through uh, a startup, right? Um, and and that that also means there's not enough exits happening even for the, the top uh you know quartile or whatever number of uh, folks who make it there may not be enough money left over to start investing i mean now you're you're probably seeing some popular investors uh you know our mutual friend jitain uh you know who's made good money in his exit uh i think uh you know akrit uh, also mumbai you know i think they're all investors now they've started to you know uh, put a lot of their money out uh to go work for them right uh they've started to decide that um but i think the majority founders don't have that kind of you know a few money to uh, to go and do it right? <laughs> they don't they don't have that kind of bank balance uh, do you think um you know MA deals and exits will start also coming in to the indian uh, uh, scenario is that also a trend that we are seeing
2: i think that the next 2022 onwards
1: my sense is that you're finally going to see the venture asset class come on its own because you are going to have IPOs, right? Mm. Uh, if I look at e-commerce today, the the scale at which e-commerce adoption is growing right now. Um, look, uh, I think just between the few large marketplaces, you might be getting a $2 billion run rate a month at this point in time. Um, so I think by the time we end March 21, uh, e-commerce will be 5% of Indian retail, believe it or not, or more than that. What that means is that it is now entirely possible to create a thousand crore FMCG brand, purely online, which is born on Amazon and Flipkart and, you know, or Big Basket. And, and, and so if you have a thousand crore FMCG brand and you have a hundred crore EBITDA, you can IPO and you're probably going to be worth close to a billion dollars. You're going to have SaaS companies uh, growing pretty fast coming out. You might have some payment infrastructure companies coming out. Uh, ed tech companies, obviously. So I think uh, we're going to have really exciting time where, uh, you know, today the BSC 500 has barely three listed internet companies. It's pretty amazing. So if you're invested in the Indian stock market, your life has gone digital. You're buying online, you're paying online, every transaction is happening online on your screen, but your portfolio is all offline. It does not participate. Like you were saying, you know, are you a COVID winner? Are you a COVID loser? Right? Mm. Uh, your portfolio is going to lose a segment. But, and if you're in the US, you can buy FANG stocks, you can buy SaaS stocks, you can buy Uber, whatever you like. Right? You can exhibit, express uh, your understanding of what's happening in the digital realm and put it in your portfolio. Uh, uh, so I think we are going to start to see that. Once that happens, Varun, you're going to see a lot more money coming in. Uh, late stage, I believe the lines will start to blur between P and VC. Already, Everstone is putting money in uh, Wow Shampoo. Uh, there is news of one MG raising a hundred million dollars from a couple of late-stage PE guys. So there is that blurring happening because they can sense the idea.
0: So you're saying that in in those scenarios, private equity is saying even even though they were uh, typically investing in a two to three x multiple, now they are kind of saying you know we will take that bet uh, even at this stage for a startup where the cash flow may not necessarily be there, and that's why the blurring is happening. Is that what you're saying?
1: No, typically P comes in pre IPO. When they have visibility, okay, you know, like two to four years from now, the company will IPO. Um, and they are figuring out that the new leaders are challenger brands or, you know, infrastructure to power these brands. And if they don't, they miss out at the end of the day. So we are going to see a slew of uh, IPOs. And I think some of those companies will become consolidators. And so you will start to see MA happening, right? See, uh, US always had Google, Facebook, before that Yahoo, AOL. These were all like giant vacuum machines just sucking up one company after the other. So you kept getting exits, whether it was 10 million, 50 million, 100 million. Uh, China had Alibaba, uh, Tencent, and uh, Baidu. So you got three of these guys competing to take you guys out, right? All these startups.
2: India doesn't have anything. Hmm.
1: Does Paytm go and make any acquisitions? Hardly, right? Do you see? Did you see Flipkart make any big acquisitions? Hardly other than Mintra, right? Uh, so, so, I think we need more of those because you can't have every company IPO; it won't happen.
0: You're investing early stage and seed stage. Now, in in these uh, in this time period, there's not much of data points like you mentioned, and you're investing in the founder. How do you source these deals? They also are not making waves that everybody gets to see them, right? Uh, Like a blue Tokai, you can actually visibly see that they have stores. uh, You probably enjoy the product. I think both of us enjoy the product uh, that they put out. So we're like, you know what? I want to be an investor. I see myself, you know, growing this company. I can see this going places because there are thousands of people like me and do that. How do you then, uh, you know, kind of come across these companies? Uh, What's your process for deal flow? Let me take a step back and, and explain
1: to you why we set up this VC fund to begin with. Look, I was doing just fine as an angel investor. In fact, my angel portfolio is up about 54 times because I've been recycling, right? So I don't, uh, uh, I, I get the deal flow. It's not, it's not that issue, right? And the idea of doing a VC fund was to really provide more capital to our mm-hmm. founders and support them better. And the two areas that we wanted to focus on is fintech and e-commerce, right? And as we began to fund some of these companies, we realized that folks who wanted to build, you know, exemplary experiences, the backend infrastructure wasn't there. Right, so SlicePay wanted to launch a card. Uh, you know, it was financing smartphones for students. Yeah, there was no infrastructure. Then, they, then we found M2P. So M2P mm-hmm. powers the SlicePay uh, card business, and so we ended up funding M2P as well, as long as along with SlicePay. Right. Right. Uh, so, so the point I'm saying is that look, uh, as a former founder, I'll tell you one thing, and this is for all the founders who are listening to me Uh, to this or watching this podcast you decide whether a VC is successful or not the VC never decides we are just money okay if you tell me Vikram I do not want your money I am helpless I don't have anything else to offer you I cannot be your co-founder right once I'm invested I can provide you some support but honestly I'm not sitting next to you in that bumpy ride all the time I'm somewhere else at the end of the day right i think the best vcs fundamentally understand that their success completely depends on founders picking them, mm-hmm. and if you're choosing the right founders they have choice uh in terms of who they pick so the way we look at it we are we say okay i'm a young founder i'm just i'm just setting up whatever i want to do who do i choose and the way we look at it i think that today uh uh there are a number of great VC funds in India. If you want to do consumer internet, you're going to make a B line for somebody like uh, Axel, right? Mm. Uh, if you want to do SaaS, you're most likely going to make a B line for Nexus. But if you're going to do FinTech, where are you going to go? There is no uh, uh, one single fund which has the infrastructure or, the, or, or I would say that depth, which can actually uh, really handhold you and build you up, right? Uh, So we think we have some fintech jobs You know, you featured a few of our companies. Uh, On the other side, I would say, again, if you want to build a consumer brand, there's a real dearth of choices. There's just fireside. That's pretty much it, right? And and we believe that uh, fintech and consumer, these are two areas uh, which are going to drive the growth of the Indian economy. With India's becoming a consumer economy, structurally, it's moving in that direction. So we want to focus right. on these two areas and upgrade uh, these two
0: areas. So your focus on fintech and and uh, consumer, and um, I've picked a few of my uh, startups, the guys who have come on uh, on this program as well, uh, and and you know this part of the show, I just want uh, the investor, i.e., you, uh, to just give some anecdote on how this investment happened, uh, you know something interesting about them. Uh, it could be anything that you want to share. Uh, You know, so I'll just, you know, we'll start with uh, a company that I haven't mentioned much, but uh, Signzy was one of those interesting investments uh, in the regulatory tech uh, space. So, you know, the way we
1: identify uh, opportunities, we do not use a market map at all. It's not like I would look at FinTech and say, I need to do a KYC company. I need to do a consumer lender. I need to do a business lender. We don't think like that, right? We actually map customer journeys. So we say, okay, if I'm a consumer and I'm opening a you know, a personal account with a bank, what is that journey? Where is it broken? Can it be fixed? Right. So we break it down into first mile, middle mile, last mile. First mile is all about onboarding, KYC, what have you. The middle mile in banking is going to be about underwriting. Uh, the last mile will be about payments, collections, customer service, et cetera, et cetera. And we think uh, that's there are going to be billion-dollar companies around digitizing each of these touch points, each of these miles, the Mm. first mile, last mile. And the bank of the tomorrow uh, is going to be very similar to like a Lego bank. As you migrate to the cloud, you kind of snap together these pieces through APIs because they're so complex. uh, Each of these activities, very hard to do. Um, SignBee was interesting because Aadhaar was launched and it Mm. really created a mind-blowing experience that it was banned. You know, You put your finger... Open your bank account, it's blazing fast, yeah. it's fantastic, right? So it's just it's like great experience till you go and open an account for your company. So Varun goes to a bank, puts his finger uh, on this biometric device, opens the account in seconds. Now Varun wants to open an account for a startup. Oh, hell, you know, three weeks, you're still marrowing the rounds, right? Waiting when when uh, your account's going to open. So Sciency basically came along saying that, look, we are going to provide digital KYC. KYC in minutes for even small businesses and nobody was solving that problem. So we knew that as we go ahead, we will digitize the Kirana, we will digitize this entire market. And and so it was a no-brainer for me and uh, I actually discovered them because uh, somebody mentioned to me they won some RBI competition. I asked somebody casually. I reached out to them on LinkedIn, cold emailed them. So guys, VCs will write to you. If they think you're doing something useful, it's not always one way. So, some of my best companies, I reached out to them, I cold emailed them, and we sat down together, talked, and we closed a
2: deal in 48 hours from the time Mm -hmm. I met them in terms of backup. Yeah, that's
0: kick ass. Um, Next is, uh, of course, Blue Tokai.
1: Um, So, Blue Tokai was a little bit different in the sense that that was more my own experience as a customer. Uh, so interesting i'll tell you uh they're really when you compare the consumer founder and the enterprise founders very interesting the consumer founder typically comes from the community of customers right that they are catering to in the end so if you look at matt he was a coffee nut for years like he's a he's crazy about coffee right he will go to the end of the earth to source the best beans roasted in his you know kitchen stove and make sure it's perfect Uh, He's fanatical about his best coffee experience. So he made coffee for himself. Enterprise guys are a little bit different. They will keep iterating, keep asking the customer. They will have an insight and build it according to customer needs. Consumer guys don't always do that. Bluetooth guy came about because um, I was actually a tea drinker for a long time. I happened to be in Colombia on a short vacation. I was in the US. I had a long weekend free. And that's one of the few countries you can go without a visa. You can go with your US visa. So I popped into Colombia with my wife, and we went to a lot of great coffee roasters. And I came back a coffee convert. Uh, I came back to India after my vacation, and uh, I was now craving this pure coffee. And I guess the only option was Blue Tokai. There I happened to meet Matt, and and we started talking. He turned out to be a junior from NYU. We connected, and uh, you know we decided on the spot pretty much. Uh, I I met him for half an hour. At the end of the yeah. year conversation and you know, he had something left from his round I committed right there and let's see that's how we started so oh, it's always been
2: yeah yeah so I think
1: when you see something special you don't take too much time to figure it out at the end of the day I mean you can do your DD to make sure that all your assumptions are correct but you pretty much know within the first half an to
2: invest at least that's how it's been for me
0: I, I want to ask you about uh, your investment in Karwale right which got acquired um, how did that happen? Um, And, you know, what are your first checks? You know, what basically made you write that check?
1: It's interesting. When I was doing my first startup, um, the founder of Karwale Mohit, was working uh, with a friend of mine, Um, and my friend was actually helping us get up some uh, licenses for a software technology park uh, in in, in India. And Mohit, for some reason, was involved uh, in helping us do that. So while I was in the U.S., and uh, it so happened that there was a certain week when I was looking to buy a car and I was going up and down the street here in Prabha Devi Worli, visiting all the dealers. And and this same friend of mine uh, invited me for lunch and Mohit was sitting there and we started talking. And then I, at the end of the dinner lunch, I think I asked him, what do you do? He said, oh, I run this online site for car comparison. I'm like, damn, I wish I knew there was something like this. You know, uh, I would have saved myself a week. So we quickly jumped on a desktop and he showed me how it works. It was live. It was working very well. He had good unit economics. And so we committed right there. Literally it took us 15 minutes. I said, okay, man, I'm in, you know? Um,
2: <laughs> so so
0: the thing is you, you were close to the pain point and you found that this is an interesting way to uh, you know, solve it and somebody's actually doing it. And you are at arm's length with this person. And you're like, you know, this is what it is. And, and you just commit it. you know, once you experience the friction, you can try to fund it away. Right? You like uh, hot sauce and you've been talking a little bit about it. So, uh, I'd love your thoughts on why hot sauce, why India and, and what is this company?
1: Oh, this is Nagin.
0: Yes. So Nagin is another company, uh,
1: which is a very interesting company. It is trying to create India's authentic hot sauce. And uh, we seeded them again very, very early. Uh, I think they just had some early product. It didn't even have a label on it. So, you know, again, here what happened was I'm a foodie. And um, after much searching, I thought I had found the best uh, cloud kitchen for pizza, uh, which is Francesco Pizzeria here in Mumbai. And I became a regular and I'd order food from, uh, uh, from his pizzeria as well as pastas mm-hmm. all the time. And one day a friend of mine, uh, Vikram Sood, who's also an active angel investor, called me and said, hey, listen, do you want to check out a hot sauce company? I said, oh, I don't know, maybe. So I said, who's the founder? He said, oh, he runs this cloud kitchen called uh, Francesco Pizzeria. I said, listen, I'll meet him uh, because I love his product. (laughs) So Mikhail came and we were talking and and, uh, he was obviously delighted to meet somebody who loves his food so much. So I knew that this founder would actually understand and, and had an idea. It's not like, you know, somebody who's been an investment banker never went to the kitchen, one now wants to build a, a, you know, a hot sauce brand, right? So he brought a sample with, with him and I tried it. I'm like, this is brilliant. Let's do it. Look, I'll explain to you where it's coming from. At seed stage, there's very little information. What you have is who is sitting in front of you, right? And you have to take a call whether if this thing works out where it's going to go. Right now, I can tell you, I was very fortunate. I was a young kid. I was in New York, and people gave us millions of dollars. They did not know me. They didn't know my family. We didn't even have a warm connect.
2: You know, I was just two years yeah. in America,
1: and they and they gave yeah. me you know all this huge check. So if they can trust me, I can trust other people. I have a blank check relationship with you know anybody I meet for the first time. Right, yeah. it's for you to write the amount. As far as I'm concerned. That's it. What's the worst that happens? My investment goes to zero, right? If it works, hey, you know, we all do really well. So the optionality is so beautiful uh, uh, that you got to keep doing it all over again, and
2: you know, that's how I see it.
0: Um, no, that that's that's uh, you know, interesting. Where you know, you're basically saying that in in early and, and seed stage you're basically meeting the founder with an open mind and you're saying, okay, let them wow you. And you know, if it's a product that you resonate with in a way, and that's just gut, right? You're not actually checking anything else. It's just gut. You feel like this is something that's going to work because of all these data points that you're observing and interacting with and you make the decision. It's not uh, you know, a mathematical decision. It's more uh, a gut vision.
2: Well, I would, I would add, you know,
1: You know, all investment decisions at seed stage will be uh, gut to some extent, right? But I think, like I mentioned, you know, we map the journey, right? We're Mm -hmm. very, very clear why I would buy this product at the end of the day, right? So when you're looking at consumer products like Blue Tokai, or you're looking at at, uh, Nagin, and we've got another company called Mungse, which is making nutraceuticals using Indian superfoods. Mm -hmm. I'll tell you what is really common between all of these three companies is... um, we figured out that the young Indian consumer whose aspiration, who's upgrading, they, when they are upgrading for, some, uh, uh, for something, they are actually looking for the packaging to be very modern, very intense, right? Very contemporary. They want the whole Brooklyn vibe and all of that. But the soul of the product, they want quintessentially Indian values, good, wholesome Indian value, right? So if you see what is in the Nugget hot sauce, it's your regional chili that your grandma would have made a pickle with, a char, mm. right? They are giving it to you in a hot sauce form. So they're going to go region by region, pick the chili. So they're actually doing one andhra chili, right? They take the guntur chili, which the guntur pickles are great, but they're going to put it in a sauce form that maybe, you know, you will enjoy more, right? If you look at Bluetooth, guy, what does it do? It goes and picks the best plantations, promotes them. But the whole packaging, the experience is is very, you know, Brooklyn or Berlin, whatever you want to call that, right? Nutricitical, the same thing. They're going to take your Ayurvedic stuff, put it into some effervescent stuff, like a tablet, and you drink it, Mm. like something nice and fizzy. So the vehicle that you're consuming is always going to be something, you know, very, very uh, Western in a sense. But Mm. the soul of it is what your grandmother would approve.
0: So we see that trend playing out over and over again. Hmm. um not all seed investments uh go as per plan, and you know I know that you've had a little bit of a challenge with uh, you know one of your investments. Uh, do you want to talk about that one? Um, how things kind of fall apart uh, and, and some of the reasons why something could you know fall off the rails?:
1: So I wouldn't name the company, but uh I think it's important to talk about what goes wrong in a in, in startup. Uh, i see the greatest value destroyer uh, in all my portfolio companies has been co founder conflict honestly mm. and that co founder chemistry is very hard to judge uh like the worst disaster we had honestly uh, the co founders were all together in iit you know they knew each other from college uh, two there were three co founders two of them knew each other from iit uh then they also overlapped with each other at iim Ahmedabad, right so with that long a history, uh, at the end of the day, of course, they didn't they had not worked together uh, throughout, right. right? But how else are you going to find your co-founder at the end of the day? So I think it is hard. Uh, uh, so one of the things you want to do is observe these co-founders very, very carefully uh, when you're in a meeting. Uh, if it's very obvious, you know, one guy's cutting off the other or whatever it is, I think then, you know, uh, there is not going to be much harmony. But this is very unpredictable. I think if you cannot predict how long marriages last, how will you predict? Uh, these stuff. But in general, I think it's been a good experience. But my my message to founders listening to this is a lot of times you have a great idea. You want to launch quickly and you feel you must bolt on a co-founder who's a CTO or the business guy, depending on your situation, because that's the only way to build and grow. I would say take your time. Choose somebody that you can be with for about seven to eight years. And you're going to spend more time with this person than you spend with your spouse. So, so try and imagine and visualize that situation. Uh, it's going to be better for you. That's how I see it. See, because for a founder, it's like hundred ten percent of their life, right? For us, you're part yeah. of my portfolio.
0: Right. Uh, it's an important part because you know you also have limited time and limited investments. So you know, you're also making those kind of calls, saying you know do I want to spend my time with this portfolio and this founder? And for what, right? You know, of course, there's a financial outcome, but you're also going to have that emotional and mental kind of investment into that that business.
1: You can't help that. I don't think that I've abandoned any company, honestly, which was not working out. I've done my best. I've tried to intervene if I could, uh, try to resolve things between the founders. Look, it's very hard to build a, a, a company. And I think once you have your initial team, that itself is a great achievement, right? Uh, to get people to believe in your vision, to get people to take lower salaries very often and take your ESOP, right? So I think it's very important to respect that. And sometimes companies go through some periods, you know. I think, um, I'll tell you one thing, Varun. We are not in the investing business. We are in the believing business, right? Once I've made up my mind to believe in you, it's very unlikely my belief will get shaken, right? Uh, If things fall apart, it's fine. We actually tell our founders, if you've done your best, You've acted with integrity, all of that stuff. Come back to us. I've paid your tuition fees once, right? I might as well uh, participate in your journey when you're going to do it right.
2: So we feel every
1: founder has three, four ventures inside there and we are happy to go along
2: each of these journeys with you. It just depends. right?
0: Um, how do you deal with uh, cold emails? If somebody wrote to Vikram at 8 ivc what would happen?
1: If you write to me directly, I'll respond to you. If you send me an email through a banker, I will not respond to you. I'm very clear. You at seed stage or series A, you're using a banker, you're not going to be able to raise capital. You're not going to, in in fact, even convince people to come. You write to me directly, I will definitely respond.
0: Very clear. Awesome. (laughs) All right. uh, Those listening uh, to this podcast, uh, do reach out to Vikram. Uh, He's a great guy. Even if he doesn't write you a check, he'll definitely help you out. Uh, Vikram, this has been awesome. Thanks so much for taking the time.